Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Rashad Richard. Welcome to the conversation. We got a great show today. We're talking about how we educate our young people. K through 12 education uh, has some of the same systemic issues of bias and racism as grown folks. It's not as if it starts once a person gets out of high school. And these racial disparities, they coexist with our young people. We're going to talk about how it impacts black children in the United States of America. To talk about this, I have Zakia Sankara Jabbar. She is the National Director of Activism at Brightbeam, the parent organization of Education Post. She is the co-founder of Racial Justice Now and most recently served as the National Field Director, National Field Organizer, excuse me, at Dignity in Schools campaign. Zakia, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. It's a pleasure to be here. Sister, you're doing the work of God, and you have been able to be an advocate and truth seeker as it relates to our Black children in the classroom. Let's talk about that. Are Black children being discriminated against at the same level, if not more, inside of white-dominated educational systems? Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question right there. And and I would say, at least from the experience of my organizing experience uh, in a couple of states in this in this uh, country and certainly national as well, I would say that there is certainly evidence that black children are continuing to be discriminated against uh, despite civil rights legislation. Um, just like in other areas of our lives, we still uh, see that there is rampant uh, anti-blackness is actually what I call it. Let me read to you a study. Uh, there's a new study out by Dean Batty. Dean Batty led this study, um, who's an associate professor of mathematics education uh, in the Graduate School of Education at Rutgers University in New uh, Jersey. Uh, this study found that white teachers, now get this, this is really interesting. Oh, yeah. White, white teachers in majority black classrooms have more negative, highly charged interaction with students regarding classroom behavior than white teachers in pre predominantly white classrooms and black teachers in predominantly black classrooms. So according to this study, you have a heightened uh, aggression factor between teacher and student when it is a white teacher and a black student. And you do not see the same hyperaggression of behavior or those interactions when you mix it the other way around, or you have black teachers and black students, or white teachers and white students. This variable only existed in this study when you had a white teacher and a black student. Help unpack that, why? Unfortunately, we know that the socialization of anti-blackness is rampant, um, and certainly it is reinforced uh, in schools by adults who have explicit bias and implicit bias. It's a combination of that. Uh, and I think you also see it in other data when it comes to how uh, young people are learning in our schools. That's something at Brightbeam that we're very um, much concerned about is making sure that our young people are learning and advancing uh, in the ways that they need to. Yeah, there's been um, obviously some research done on this. I just read one research study that was recent. The United Negro College Fund, they released some data and they found that systemic bias in teachers as it relates to white teachers show that expectations for their black students is lower. And that lower expectation 
creates some systemic issues such as college readiness or it impacts college readiness. Also, another stat from the United Negro College Fund um, found that students of color are often concentrated in school districts with fewer resources. Schools with 90% or more students of color spend over $700 less per student during that school year. That is a systemic issue. And that issue goes back to the economy of race, as I call it. What is being done to resolve that? Because honestly, the Biden administration has not tackled this issue, uh, and they should. So talk about that. I completely agree. I think that uh, certainly the Biden administration um, has, in in my opinion, not paid as much attention to education as they should. Um, and I think that you know, everything that's happening with this um, right wing revolt against learning the truth about American history with critical race theory and, and white parents coming out and basically fighting uh, the truth uh, being told about the inception of this country and the continued oppression of black people and our black children as well. So, you know, the system, the systemic issue to your question, what's being done about it, you have organizations, black led organizations and social justice organizations who are fighting uh, for equity in education, who are fighting for a reparations agenda. Um, there's a number of local organizations that are led by black parents. There's also national organizations such as Brightbeam and others who are doing the work in our cities, in our states, and all across this country, uh, not to just move it at the federal level, because as you know, as an educator, a lot of education uh, law and a lot of education funding actually comes from states since we don't have a federal right uh, to an education, unfortunately, in this country. Let me talk about critical race theory. You brought it up, CRT. Uh, there has been an attack on the teaching of critical race theory. And here's what's interesting. I teach critical race theory at the university. I've taught CRT for years. Critical race theory is simply a theoretical framework to utilize history, common sense, statistical data to understand the cause and effect relationship of race and racism in our societal construct. Republican lawmakers are literally passing laws to make it illegal to think, to make it illegal to teach, to make it illegal to give somebody facts. And here's what's interesting about all of these laws that are being passed around this country. You don't have laws that say don't teach Hitler. You don't have laws that tell teachers they can't teach white supremacy. Now, we would hope out of their better judgment, they would not do these things, right? But we don't have a law telling them not to. We have a law telling them not to teach, teach the reality of racism in the United States of America. That's exactly right. And I think it's unfortunate. And it's also uh, being pushed by the same people who supported uh, the previous uh, president, uh, you know, people who are upset um, that in their mind, the country is going into the wrong direction. And so I think they're pulling out all the stops, if you will, um, to push back against whatever they think is uh, about to happen to them, this fear um, that people of color, which we know has been projected, will become the majority in this country. And so these people are doing tactics. I mean, I think they're pulling things out of the air, you know, to uh, do, do what they believe is, is protecting their own children. But what they're doing, I believe, um, is actually not, in, not beneficial uh, for children, not even white children. I think white children deserve to know the truth 
uh, in the history about this country. And they also um, can be agents of change if they learn the That's history. Right. You see what I'm saying? They could be at the actual agents of change once they become adults um, and, and to help reverse uh, a lot of the anti-blackness that's continuing to happen since the inception of this country. Yeah, it becomes a very sad ecosystem of indoctrination when you do not allow truth to come in. But remember, we've just gone through a presidency where truth was a rare commodity. And as mm -hmm. long as individuals mm -hmm. stayed inside of their bubble, uh, mm -hmm. their bubble of information, then that bubble had no threat of being pierced uh, because if truth came to them, they simply called it fake news and they kept moving on with their lives. Yeah. That's the unfortunate truth about it. Um, I think that one of the things that I'm actually excited about is there are students, there are parents, and there are other organizations who are coming together, um, particularly around this CRT issue, because they have to push back at the local levels um, with the school boards. A lot of the school boards um, have even been having some of their races decided. I think there was one in Texas um, where the person who came out against uh, critical race theory actually won that seat. So this is also becoming much more hyper-political in which, in my experience, local school boards are some of the most non-political uh, seats in a lot of cities. But yeah. now that is changing, uh, thankfully, um, because parents, uh, not, not white parents, but black parents are saying, hey, wait a minute, we want our children you know, to have the truth. We don't want this for our community. And it's really sad because it's happening in districts all across this country, you know, and 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 in different racial makeups as well. It's it's very concerning. Sister, I appreciate your time today. Uh, tell us how we can follow you on social media. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. People can follow me on Twitter at Zakia Shinyere. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us on the conversation. Thank you. What's happening? I'm your man, Dr. Rashad Richard. Welcome to the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people are talking about the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. Some are mischaracterizing this as a riot or a, a racial conflict. Uh, this was a mob of white thugs who decided to use the pretext of a teenager falsely accused by a white woman in order to destroy a black community that they wanted their hands on, the land of the district known as Greenwood. To talk about this and a whole lot more, I have with me a remarkable guest, Annalisa Bruner, writer, editor, and great-granddaughter of a Tulsa race massacre survival, survivor. She is the author of the uh, work the nation, the nation must awake my witness to the Tulsa race massacre of 1921. I'm looking to have this conversation. Uh, sister, thank you for being on the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ritchie. I appreciate your interest and your time. Absolutely. Uh, there are people somewhat confused about the genesis of all of this and why did this happen and why people have not been prosecuted. Um, what I would like you to do uh, in, in as brief a time as possible, because we only have a few minutes for the show, I want you to give the real history of what happened and how 
what happened impacted generations of black families such as yourself beyond that? What I can say, and that was a wonderful introduction because you set up the framework. Uh, this was uh, a race massacre from the very beginning uh, with the intent to, uh, as one of the postcards said, drive the Negro out of Tulsa. Mm -hmm. So this was a community of people who had set uh, up a space and a place for themselves to be self-sufficient, to rely on one another, because in the era of uh, segregation in which they were living, they actually were not permitted to live elsewhere. They were not permitted to be part of the economic boom from the oil industry that was uh, in place here and that drove uh, Tulsa's uh, very uh, rich economy. Uh, they were permitted to work in service jobs in white homes, for et cetera. They took home uh, good wages for what they for what the work that they did. But at the same time, they were really only permitted to uh, be amongst themselves. But they thrived in that uh, environment. They didn't uh, uh, lament their lot. They did well probably better than people had expected. But that community was, as you said, sitting on some very valuable property. Uh, they were hoping to extend uh, the commercial district and under the pretext of uh, Dick Rowland attacking Sarah Page, uh, two teenagers, uh, they uh, threatened him with lynching. Uh, the black community resisted uh, and uh, the race massacre was on. These were independent individuals because when uh, there was word that somehow they were going to try and lynch this falsely accused teenager, men of that community stood up. They went to that sheriff's office. They came armed as they are legally and constitutionally able to do, and they were turned away. But the white mob, however, they were deputized. To this day, there has not been a prosecution of anyone murdered in that massacre, even though it has been deemed to be a murderous massacre by grand juries and beyond. Nobody prosecuted, nobody held accountable, but the white mob, many of them were deputized by the local government to destroy Greenwood. Unpack some of that. They were absolutely deputized. Not only that, uh, some uh, units apparently of the National Guard were deployed uh, to surround the district. And what ultimately happened was that they they, the people were surrounded as they tried to flee and were mowed down in their tracks. So this was a concerted and pre-planned um, uh, event. And at the same time, uh, the internment areas where people were taken after they got burned out of their homes uh, had already been constructed. These were not spontaneous events. This was a pre-planned action. And you can tell from the fact of the preparedness uh, of the uh, holding areas, the convention center, uh, these things had been planned a priori. When you look at what happened over the span of 18 hours, this was a war. And here's what we know about war. And, and I know people will push back on me and say, no, Dr. Richard, this was not a war. Uh, this was uh, you know, a bad thing and a racial attack, but not a war. Let me tell you why it's a war. A war is defined as this simply, when you kill people and blow things up and you plan to do it. That's what war is. I don't care what you call it on paper. You're going to war. And for them to execute this kind of carnage in such a short amount of time, 
to basically uproot 10,000 individuals, that took preparation, as you just spoke about. Why do you think there are still narratives that exist that suggest somehow this was simply a cause and effect dynamic and not intended to steal property, kill black people, and plan well in advance of that racial massacre? Uh, well, you know, no one wants to say that they are um, that uh, uncivilized, that savage, yeah. uh, that animalistic in their behavior toward other humans. So just as we know certain justifications uh, for the enslavement of other humans uh, somehow uh, rests on a mythology, there is a persistent mythology uh, that uh, uh, certain people are comforted by, and uh, they do not want to look into the deep abyss of their own souls and uh, see that uh, and admit and confess uh, that uh, these kinds of behaviors, uh, the, the savagery, the barbarity, you know, the uh, behavior outside of the social confines of civilization, um, that they have engaged in them uh, without provocation. Uh, that is the height of uh, uncivilization. And uh, certain people do not uh, want to uh, admit that that's the case. For many years, there was an intentional cover-up of what happened. And we had to rely on uh, oral rendition. We had to rely on records that were not well kept. And now there's this new energy behind understanding exactly what happened. You're the great granddaughter of a uh, Tulsa race massacre survivor. I'm sure there were stories passed down through your family, things that you knew about that others were not on top of yet. Tell us some of those oral traditions that you were made aware of, the nuances of this massacre. Uh, that may not have made it to the public? Well, a couple of things I'd like to say. Uh, it wasn't that these histories were lost. They were intentionally suppressed. Mm -hmm. As I said, uh, you know, the city fathers were some embarrassed by uh, the uh, extent to which the destruction uh, happened. And uh, it was a bad public relations look for the city, who had, uh, which had uh, kind of... Uh, projected itself across the country and the world as a place to come and do business and to live well and to um, enjoy life. Uh, but when you have a stain like this on the community, uh, it doesn't, it just doesn't look good. The Chamber of Commerce and others uh, suppressed the story, uh, removed uh, journalistic records and so forth. And over a, a period of decades, uh, there was an imposed silence within the community. Now, as far as my personal situation is concerned, I am actually the descendant of two survivors, mm. my great-grandmother and my grandmother, her small child at the time, who was seven years of age uh, and would have been the same age uh, uh, at that time in 1921 as Mother Viola Fletcher, who testified before Congress and put her words into the congressional record a couple of weeks ago. It's very important to distinguish between an oral record uh, in terms of oral history, the congressional record and the written record that my great grandmother, Mary Elizabeth Jones Parrish wrote in real time uh, immediately in the aftermath 
of the massacre. All of her stories uh, about herself and the notes that she took from other survivors corroborate and ex align exactly with what oral histories have said. And so uh, the facts are incontrovertible. Mm -hmm. It is what happened. Planes did fly overhead, throwing out dynamite sticks or turpentine bombs, burning the buildings from the top down as marauders came through with torch in hand, uh, doused the buildings with kerosene and set them aflame, uh, you know, driving people from their homes and shooting them uh, as they exited, fleeing for their lives. So this is, uh, you know, this is a horrible and graphic, uh, graphically violent uh, event, uh, not something that anyone wants to uh, uh, dig up or certainly make up. And so we know that these things are true. Uh, despite mm -hmm. efforts over the generations to to silence people. My my knowledge of the uh, events came through the book that was passed down through my family. This has been a remarkable conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you for telling your story and thank you for continuing to educate the masses on what really happened at the Tulsa Race Massacre. Thank you.